Chapter 24. Monday, July 15th through Sunday, July 21st, 1776. The time is now near at hand, which must probably determine whether Americans are to be free, freemen or slaves. The fate of unborn millions will now depend, under God, on the courage and conduct of this army. We have therefore to resolve to conquer or die. This is a mes- message issued to Continental Troops from New York Military Headquarters, July 1776. The spark kindled on my cheek, flared, and spread throughout my entire body. First my eyes, then hair, then down my limbs, until even my toes and fingers felt they were aflame. Strange scenes swam before me, first in light, then darkness, then light again. I saw Papa, but no, not truly him, another son of Africa, brow furrowed, his voice deep and strong as a church bell. Mama hovered over me, but her face faded into a woman I did not know, older than Mama, with strands of white in her hair. She talked Jamaica, more song than words, and brought bitter tea to my mouth and made the world smell of lemons and told me to sleep. I asked about Ruth over and over again and tried to apologize for letting her get stole, but the words were sawdust in my mouth. Curzon's face floated up in front of me. He told me to shake my lazy bones and get out of bed. He did not turn into a dead person from when I was little. This was a strange comfort. I blinked and he was gone. The room was dark again, with starlight in the windows and the sounds of a baby crying, and farther away, the barking of a lonely dog. Strangest of all was the hive of bees that had taken up residence inside of me. They swarmed under my skin and gave up peculiar vibrations. The buzzing echoed in my brain pan and crowded out my thoughts. The fire in me burned on and on. I woke. I did not know where I was. This was not Rhode Island or the hold of a ship or the locked-in cellar or any other room in their house. It certainly was not the dungeon under City Hall. Was this a dream? Had I passed over to the land of the dead? Did ghosts sleep on clean sheets that smelled of mint? I sat up. The room was warm and quite small, but entirely free of dirt, vermin, and mice. The walls were freshly whitewashed and the floor polished. Lace curtains fluttered in the window. Though I, sorry, through it I saw the tops of trees. This was an attic room then. The bed was softer than anything I'd ever laid in. Properly made up with linens, two pillows, and a coverlet of deep blue. A chair was positioned next to the bed, and a chamber pot empty rested under that. I tried to stand, but the room spun around me, and I plopped back down. I was wearing my shift, still stained with blood at the neckline, but my skirt, stockings, and bodice were not to be seen, or my shoes. I closed my eyes tight, then opened them again. Same room, still no shoes. The door opened, and in stepped the funny-talking Dutch maid of Lady Seymour. Her eyes flew open wide, then she slammed the door shut and ran away. A moment later, the door opened again, and in walked the lady herself. Ah, she said with faint surprise, you've come back to us. She poured water from the jug into a mug, handed it to me, and sat on the chair. I drank down a gulp. My lips were dried and cracked. When I swallowed, it caused my burned cheek to ache. My fingers flew up to check the wound. There was a cloth stuck to my face with ointment oozing out from under the edges. Lady Seymour leaned forward and gently removed my hand. Best not to touch it yet, she said. The healer woman put a comfrey salve on it to draw out the pestilence. Beg pardon, ma'am, I croaked. My voice was raspy with lack of use. But where am I and why? She glanced out the window before she spoke, her mouth set in a grim line. How best to say this, she began. I waited, not sure how to answer. You have lain here near insensible for six days. Six? Do you remember what happened? 
The bees threatened to overtake my mind again, their wings beating quickly. I took another drink of water. I remember some. The rest is a jumble, ma'am. You tried to run away and were beaten in the attempt. You passed two days under City Hall and emerged gravely ill with fever and heaven knows what else. After your trial, you were branded. I was not aware of these events until after they occurred. Your friend with the red hat came to the door with the news that you were near dead in the stocks. After consulting with Anne, I arranged to have you transported here. She looked directly at me. I further questioned Anne and discovered her version of the events. I find the buying and selling of children most repugnant. Your reaction to the news of your sister, while unfortunate, was understandable in my view. Ruth, 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 buzzed the bees. I blinked back tears. Do you know who bought my sister, ma'am? I have so far failed to uncover the fact. She stood up and walked to the window. My nephew's wife is stubborn as well as intemperate. I clutched the bed covers. I will find her. She, pull, she pulled the lace curtain aside and studied something passing in the street below. I thought through what she said and found a slim thread of hope to grasp hold of. Begging pardon again, ma'am, but do I work for you now? She let the curtain fall. I'm afraid not. Anne insists that you be returned to her household as soon as you are able. The law supports her position, I fear, and in these unsettled times there is little remedy. A wave of weariness crashed over me at the thought of serving Madame again, of allowing her to see her mark upon my face every day. I expect you'd like to bathe, Lady Seymour said. Angelica is preparing the water for you as we speak. You'll find the rest of your clothes in the kitchen. She paused in the doorway. You miss your parents terribly, don't you? Pardon, ma'am? While you lay in the fever, you spoke of them with great affection, as if they were in the room with us. She hesitated for a moment, then picked up her skirts. No matter. I'll escort you back to Anne's once you've bathed and eaten. Angelica took the trouble to make the tub full and the water warm and sweet-smelling. I thanked her and she gave me a little smile. She'd said something in the Dutch speech, which I did not understand. We must have looked two fools, one speaking English, her talking Dutch, both nodding our heads and wishing we had the right words. My clothes had been washed and ironed, my shoes wiped clean of mud and muck, even better was the meal of fried eggs, toasted bread, and a fruit compote of pears and apples topped with strawberries and cream. When Angelica set the food in front of me, her eyes went to the fresh scar on my face, rinsed clean of salve and patted dry. She winced at the sight. As I wiped up the last of my egg with the bread, Lady Seymour entered, followed by her cat. She had changed into a peach-colored crinoline gown and was pulling on lace gloves. It is time, she said. I walked two steps behind her, carrying a basket of daisies and a heart filled with dread. When we arrived at the Lockton, she walked up the front steps without ever looking back at me. She paused before she lifted the door knocker. Go on, she said. I opened the side gate to the garden, entered, and closed it behind me. I heard the knocker booming under Lady Seymour's hand as I walked slowly to the back door.